0: Hey everybody. Thanks for checking out 83 weeks today. Eric and I greatly appreciate your support, but right here at the top of the show, before we get started today, I wanted to send a shout out to a friend of the show, Jay Fratt, who tweeted me a picture yesterday, and, uh, I just wanted to give him a shout out here. He says, I'll just leave this here. And then it's a screenshot that says old mortgage number of months left, 317 new mortgage number of months left, 240 months off of loan 77 think about that 77 house payments gone years off loan 6.4 total savings two hundred and six thousand nine hundred and six dollars and 53 cents that's worth repeating two hundred and six thousand nine hundred and six dollars and 53 cents this is what jay saved at savewithconrad.com He made sure to put in the tweet. Oh, by the way, my monthly payments went up a whopping $13. Thank you to Larry, Jennifer, Philip, and the entire team for making this decision. Super easy to go through. Cannot recommend looking into this info enough. So there you go. Savewithconrad.com. Save Jay and his family $206,906 and in order to save that money and cut 77 payments off of his loan, He's paying 13 extra dollars a month. Step one is to go to savewithconrad.com. Step two is to do a quick application, either online or over the phone. And step three is for us to give you three or four different money-saving ideas. And once you finish step four and pick the right option for you, you're off to the races. It really is that easy. This is a real-life example of someone who listens to this show and then went to savewithconrad.com to take my challenge. Find out how much money you can save for free. It's no cost, it's no obligation, and you don't need perfect credit. So why wouldn't you do this? And oh, by the way, we're licensed in more than 40 states, so we can help more families than ever before. So even if you've taken a look once upon a time into refinancing, it's worth another look right now. It was worth nearly 207 grand to Jay. Find out how much money you can save right now at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084 equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? You won't have to make the payment in July or August. You're done until September 1st and come September, you've got a better mortgage. Get out of debt. Now, keep more of your own money. Go to save with Conrad.com. conrad thompson and you're listening to 83 weeks with eric bischoff eric what's going on man how are you
1: i am doing well mrs b and mrs b was gone for a week she was out in uh, la with her daughter montana um so she got home this weekend and we're just kind of sinking back up again if you know what i mean and uh all is good at casa de bischoff
0: Well, I'm excited to hear that she's back and things are back to normal there. And we hope that things are back to normal for you. If you're listening at home, Eric is broadcasting from the comfort and safety of his home. And I am still off of my garage here in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been a weird few months just in, in the world. Has it not, Eric? I, I don't, well, I don't think I've ever
1: experienced so much significant change in our culture and our politics and our society and the way we communicate. I mean, just everything is happening so fast. It's just, it's hard to keep up with. I mean, back in February, the whole world was, you know, waiting with well maybe not the whole world but at least here in the states with waiting with bated breath, the outcome of you know an impeachment trial and everybody thought that was going to be the biggest news of the year hell seems like 20 years ago already so much has happened since then so it's been a it's been a strange time and hopefully we're going to get back to normal fairly soon
0: it's pretty crazy to think you know just when you think about what a crazy year 2020 has been already kobe bryant dying in a helicopter crash feels like that would be the lead story for any year i don't know that it cracks the top five this year this is things are moving fast right now
1: they're moving fast and it's getting more and more intense and unfortunately i think it's probably going to pick up as we get closer to november because people's passions are going to be even more inflamed and i i I, I, who knows what news is going to break next you know i almost am fearful of waking up in the morning and turning on the news because the headlines just scare the hell out of me
0: well, something that's to scare the hell out of all of us as uh you know, just sort of standing idly by as 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 life moves on and not participating. So, you know, as as a rule, we don't usually discuss anything, you know, political or religious or stuff like that on our podcast. This is supposed to be a fun escape, but one thing I think we can all agree on, Eric, is we've gotta do better and uh fuck some racism, right? Fuck the race. racism is
1: but it, it, the foundation of racism is ignorance.
0: Yeah.
1: Ignorance of other people's cultures, of their feelings, of their history, of I mean it's ba- it's rooted in ignorance, pure ignorance. And unfortunately I think that ignorance in the in a in the literal sense of the term kind of manifests itself into fear. Fear becomes hate and you end up with what we've been seeing here for the last couple of months and i just i i pray you know i don't again i don't get religious at all with people that are outside of my family but i pray every day that you know people will come to their senses and and don't let the hate and the fear that drives the hate take over your life because it's it's insane it's just insane don't be ignorant damn it don't be ignorant
0: yeah and let's do better and um you know hopefully this is a teachable moment for all of us. And, uh, maybe there's going to be some real change around the corner or so we can hope, but let's talk about something that we're glad we can't change. And that's WCW in 1995. We're talking great American bash, 1995 today. This one went down on June 18th. So we're coming up on the, uh, the 25 year anniversary here. It's at the Hera arena in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Which used to be a hotbed for wrestling. It's got 6,000 fans there, 5,218 were paying. The gate's only about $63,000. It does a buy rate of 0.51. And this is actually the first Great American Bash pay per view since 1992. Uh, There's a lot to unpack here, but man, we have talked about some numbers from 96 and certainly 97 and 98. And a $63,000 gate for a pay per view. Wow, WCW is uh, not quite to the peak of the mountain here, huh? Think about it. Let's be, before we get into those numbers,
1: and I want to address it real quickly. But let's just kind of put ourselves in a 1995 frame of mind, a June 1995 frame of mind just take a quick snapshot of the entertainment world do you know what the number one song was on the pop charts i'm not going to give you time to google it can you answer it off the top of your head macarena, I doubt it. macarena? no I'm just water concerned. water runs dry by boys to men
0: oh i would have never guessed that uh,
1: me neither thank god for google
0: <laughs> how about the?
1: <laughs> how, about, how about the number one movie for for the week of june 4th no idea Three, two, one, Casper, Casper the following week for June 11th, it was Congo and then Val Kilmer as Batman and Batman Forever to $336 million at the box office. Quite a substantial increase over the box office from this pay-per-view of $63,000, which by the way, Conrad Thompson, I am almost certain as I sit here in the shadows of Carter Mountain in beautiful Cody, Wyoming at 5,615 feet population of 9,620 that you and I could draw a house better than $63,000 in your freaking garage by inviting (laughs) our fan base to come over and experience some big green egging with Conrad Thompson and Eric Bischoff. I am almost certain we could top the $63,000 payday that WCW got for this pay-per-view, and we wouldn't have to book all that talent. It'd be me and you, a couple pork roasts, maybe some ribs, and the copious bounce of beer, and I'm pretty sure we could break sixty-three thousand dollars. What do you say?
0: Yeah, I mean, it just it blows me away when you look at the talent and the roster, and I mean, how much of it is is just the pricing structure? How much of it is just the economics of Ohio or 1995 live entertainment? I mean, it, it's really remarkable because you fast forward just a couple of years. And you guys are going to have gates in the 900,000s. And you, you talked about here on the show that you were disappointed that you never hit a million, but you got real damn close. And here, this is a major pay-per-view. I mean, a staple for this organization, 63 a, grand. Yeah.
1: But, and here's the other thing is I'm, you know, as I had to switch gears, cause you and I were about to cover another show today. And at the last minute, we kind of shifted gears and made it went in another direction. But here's, you know, in in addition to you know, water runs dry by boys to men, and the movies that were hot at the time. This is less than ninety days, I think, prior to the launch of Nitro. Think about that. I mean, the, and and I'm not even sure at the time of this pay per view. I was thinking about this this morning. I am not even sure. At the time of this pay-per-view in, in June of 95, that I had even had my meeting yet with Ted Turner where basically I was mandated to to go head-to-head with WWE. So Nitro wasn't a figment, I don't think. I, I'm pretty certain that Nitro was not even a, a a thought. It It wasn't even a fleeting thought, like a little electronic brain burst that said Nitro hadn't even happened yet. And what, what I think we're experiencing here in terms of the gate, or what we were experiencing here in terms of the gate and, and lack thereof, was the fact that we were still kind of rebuilding from the 91, 92, 93, and even 94 um, efforts to regrow the brand, rebuild the brand. Really, 91, 92, 93 were miserable, miserable, miserable years for WCW. From a financial point of view, you know there there were some great things about it. Don't get me wrong, there were some great matches, there was some amazing talent, but when it come just from a revenue point of view, 91, 92, 93 were just freaking horrible, god awful. And we hadn't built that fan base up yet. Yeah, we had, but we brought in Hulk Hogan the year before, obviously Randy Savage was here, you know, Ric Flair had been back now for a while. You know, we had some great talent, but just having great talent alone Isn't enough to obviously move the needle. And we saw that here, whereas 12 months later, we were starting to rock the boat pretty good.
0: No doubt. And we are going to talk about your meeting with Ted. I've got some questions about that, but first I want to talk about the great American Mm -hmm. bash as a, a sort of a brand. As I mentioned, it's the first one since 92. This has sort of been a staple for Jim Crockett promotions going back to like, I don't know, 85 but then we missed '93 and '94, and now we're back here at '95. Why do you think we did away with with the brand Great American Bash? Did it feel too southern to you, or, or what do you think the thinking here is?
1: No, not at all, not at all. And, and I be careful about you know the too southern thing. I mean, I did feel strongly that um, because of the the. the the DNA of, of, of WCW, if you will, the fact that it really was uh, it, it had its genealogy in the South. Right. I mean, it was a Southern Territory NWA, you know, Jim Crockett promotions while they expanded in different parts of the country, you know, for brief periods of time. For the most part, it was a Mid-South, or not Mid-South in terms of wrestling, but uh, Mid-Atlantic type of regional promotion. Um, that's where their roots were. Obviously Turner Broadcasting based in Atlanta, you know, that's where the roots were. And in order to kind of grow the brand so that it appealed to a broader national audience, I did feel that we had to distinguish ourselves a little bit from the, I, I, I think, overly Southern centric kind of presentation that we gave it, which included, you know, announcers that had very distinctive you know, Southern type accents. if the same thing happens in, in media, in news today, you know, when you, you can go to any market, I can come to Huntsville and turn on the local news and I don't detect an accent.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, I want to give you a pro tip right now, something I've been doing for a couple of months now that I highly, highly recommend. It's been a hit in my house. I'm sure it will with yours. I'm talking about how you can get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Thanks to our friends at HelloFresh, they're America's number one meal kit. And here's the deal, man. And here's why I love HelloFresh lets you skip your trips to the grocery store. That is priority number one for me, but something I didn't expect. It's been a lot of fun making meals at home with the wife here. The cooking has been fun, easy and affordable. And here's the deal. The recipes from HelloFresh are delicious. You know, if it don't taste good, I ain't eating it. Well, how about this? Hello fresh tastes great because 90% of their ingredients are sourced directly from growers. This is going to get you the freshest. And how about this? It just tastes better. It also saves time. It got contactless delivery right to your doorstep, which is very important these days, but I get to cut out all the stress of meal planning, grocery store runs, chasing all the ingredients. It just shows up and we've got it on the table in under a half hour. Some of these options we've even got out there in less than 20 minutes. And by the way, you actually save money by skipping this trip to the grocery store and just going straight to HelloFresh. But my favorite thing about this is super flexible. They're gonna help you keep your fridge stocked by adding extra proteins or sides like garlic bread for your weekly order. And you can easily change your delivery days or food preferences. So if you do have to have some travel, or you've got folks coming in, you need to skip a week, you need to adjust, whatever, they make it easy. I am such a big believer in this. It has changed the way my wife and I are cooking supper around the house. Uh, it's brought us a little closer together, if I'm honest with you, because we're excited when these boxes come, we're, we're excited to get going and, uh, and do it together. And it's easy. I, I'm not some sous chef, but I've had a great time with HelloFresh and so has she. Uh, it's been a highlight for us, by the way, you can bring this goodness to you and get a great deal because you listen to this show. I want you to really pay attention because this is a different promo code than what we normally do. Right now, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash 83 weeks 60 and then use the code 83 weeks 60 to get $60 off your first three weeks. That's going to include free shipping on your first box, by the way. Additional restrictions apply, but please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. I cannot stress this enough. The only way to get this special deal is to go to hellofresh.com forward slash 83week60 and use that promo code 83week60. It's all squished together and you'll get $60 off your first three weeks, including free shipping. This is awesome. Do not miss it. It's 83week60. That's the promo code. It's all squished together and you find the website at hellofresh.com forward slash 83week60. You got to at least just take a look at the website Decide for yourself, but I think you're going to agree with me and Megan. Stuff's legit. It's hellofresh.com forward slash 83 weeks 60 Yeah, they don't want, they want you to be, you know, every person. You need to be a chameleon. We don't need to be able to pick up any certain dialect or or twang. Right. And
1: and, and that was the same. It wasn't that I had anything against the South. Actually, it's quite the opposite, but. It's just that that Southern vibe, I felt in order to expand the brand, we had to be a little bit more generic in terms of our presentation. That's all. Um, so, no, the Great American Bash as a pay-per-view had nothing to do with my my um, impression of it as a being too Southern or anything like that. And again, you go back to 91, 92, 93, there was a lot of anxiety and concern over generating revenue and increasing revenue. You know, our pay-per-view revenues, because as evidenced by our, our gate on this show, the only real revenue that WCW had that meant anything was pay-per-view. Right. Our house show business sucked. It was almost non-existent. I've covered this before. I won't beat it to dig out th- again here. But the prevailing strategy um, of WCW until I took it over um, was, yeah, I know we're losing money every time we go out the door, but let's just go out the door more and make it up in volume. I shit you not. All right. That was that was the logic. And the only exception to that kind of money losing mentality that was so prevalent in WCW for so long was pay-per-view. And then it got down, you know, I was a big proponent of increasing the number of pay-per-views. Not that I I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like you didn't have to be a you know Harvard business grad to figure it out. It was the only source of revenue there was. We weren't getting it. We weren't being paid a license fee from Turner Broadcasting for the show. We weren't sharing an ad revenue f- from Turner Brox- Broadcasting for the show. Our licensing and merchandising was for the most part non-fucking existent. Yeah, there was a little bit there, but not enough to move a needle in any meaningful way. Um, so what's left? Pay per view, and I think there was, and I I can't speak to what the tactics or strategies were back when Bill Watts was running things before me, or even before that with Jim Hurd. My feeling though was we we needed to increase the numbers of pay per views by 1995 and 96. I was a big proponent of that, and Great American Bash was one. Why it was taken off the pay-per-view schedule, I can't answer that. I, I really can't. But when it came time to increase the number of pay-per-views because of the legacy of Great American Bash, and because I did like it, you know, it was a great it was a, it was a birthday party for America, you know, it was almost like the Fourth of July kind of vibe. I did like it, and that's why we brought it back.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. Let's uh, let's mention that we're coming off the heels of slamborie where we see Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Defeat Vader and Ric Flair. As a reminder, this was actually Rick's first pay-per-view match back since he lost the retirement match to Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc 94. Hogan doesn't have a match at the Great American Bash, but in the main event here, we'll see Ric Flair versus Randy Savage, which was built out of that Slambury match we just talked about, where Flair would actually attack Randy's father, Angelo Poffo, and put him in the figure four. Talk to me a little bit about Randy working with his dad. This is something that we haven't talked about a lot on the show, but it's been said that over the years, um, one of the issues that Randy had with Vince is the perceived slight of his father, Angelo Papo. And I think it's been discussed that one of his wishes was, Hey, I don't want to go into the WWE hall of fame. The whole family should go just like the Von Erics meaning his brother, Lanny, his father, Angelo. Clearly a family guy. Uh, what can you tell us about his relationship with Angelo and how he came to be a part of, of working with WCW?
1: I, I don't know the history between Randy and Vince as it relates to the Hall of Fame or, or in, in giving more um, notoriety or more, more attention to, to uh, Randy's father. I don't know that backstory. I never really talked to Randy about it. I've heard kind of anecdotally that some of that stuff uh, actually went on. I, I can tell you that, you know, because Slambury, the nature of Slamboree, which happened a month before this event, you know, was, you know, we had our own kind of Hall of Fame thing going on, right, where we were honoring legends. And, you know, we didn't call it a Hall of Fame or anything like that. But you, you get the point. We were honoring legends. And Randy was really, really excited to, to bring his dad in. Um, it meant a lot to Randy. I, could, I mean, he got very emotional about it, obviously passionate about how to make it work and passionate in a good way, by the way, not demanding anything, not making sure that his, I mean, he was very, very productive and constructive about how to bring Angelo in. But I, I do know that it meant the world to him. It really did. And I mean, you hit it on the head, you know, Randy, Above all else, you know, he was loyal to his family, like incredibly loyal to the day he died, uh, to his family. And I think they to him, um, in, in many respects. I've gotten to know Lanny Poffo pretty well over the last couple of years. And we, you know, I've learned a lot about Randy and his relationship with Angelo and, and, and the whole family through, through Lanny. And, you know, when you walk away from a conversation like that with Lanny, you know, you, you really, really understand just how deep. Deeply affectionate, you know, Randy felt towards all of his family and especially his father.
0: Let's mention the uh, the day before the bash here. Savage and Hogan go to the Mall of America in Minneapolis. It's the opening of Hogan's Pasta Mania restaurant, and they wind up signing autographs for like three hours. The line starts to form at like nine a.m., even though they're not scheduled to start until mm-hmm. noon. So, no matter what we think about wrestling in '95, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. They're still big, big stars that fans are going to turn up for. Um, yeah, and
1: I, I no doubt, and, and I think Hulk Hogan had a still had a little bit of that local hometown hero thing going on because he spent so much time in Minneapolis. I mean, he obviously was a huge star in in WWF at the time. That's where Hulk Hogan became a little legitimate worldwide name. No mistaking that. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise here, but I also will tell you that Hulk Hogan was a big damn deal in Minneapolis for the period of time that he really became Hulk Hogan. In Hulk Hogan's own words, he will tell you, if you ever have a chance to sit down and have a beer with him, he'll tell you that it was really Vern Gagne who taught Hulk Hogan how to become Hulk Hogan in the ring. That's really where the character that we've come to know or we came to know during that period of time was born was in Minneapolis. And I think there was a residual kind of hometown loyalty as a result of that. On top of the fact that he and Randy were just, you know, legitimate, you know, worldwide stars.
0: Did you ever think that the organization, that Turner's organization was too big? I don't mean that to be funny, but it feels like sometimes we hear stories where, uh, as my grandfather used to say, um, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing sort of deal. Uh, here's a yeah, Go ahead. I'm sorry. sorry. Well, there's a, l- a little note that i found in my research. Hulk Hogan appeared on TNT on May 17th during a break in the Orlando Magic Chicago Bulls playoff game. By the way, this is when Jordan came back wearing the number 45 and the Orlando Magic beat him. Anyway, uh, when announcer Doug Collins refers to Hogan as being from the WWF, He was then corrected that Hogan was actually with WCW. Now, if this is anywhere else, if this game is on NBC, if it's on ABC, if it's on CBS, okay, it's on TNT it's on a Turner station and a Turner paid announcer doesn't recognize another Turner asset. That's a little weird to me.
1: It is. And it isn't, um, again, this is pre nitro. This is pre-WCW being profitable. This is pre-WCW generating $350 or $400 million a year in revenue, which we probably did in 96 or 97. This was still when WCW was the, don't want to offend anybody if you happen to be a redheaded stepchild, it is just a figure of speech, not a personal opinion. But WCW was the Redheaded stepchild of Turner Broadcasting. Ted Turner was the, you've heard me say this a million times. I wish I had a dollar for every time I said it because I wouldn't be having to do this podcast. <laughs> if I'd be, do, I'd, I'd be doing it for fun, which is still fun, but you get my point. Sure. Ted Turner was the only executive in Turner Broadcasting that wanted WCW. Everybody else treated it like it didn't really exist. They didn't want to acknowledge it at cocktail parties. It didn't come up in board meetings, you know, in in the big annual company, Yay Ra Ra, that we would have once a year or so, or sometimes more than once, um, WCW didn't get any attention. We heard a lot about every other division within Turner Broadcasting, but WCW, not so much, with the exception of Ted Turner. So I, I don't think it was, as your grandfather would say, the right hand, not knowing what the left hand was doing, it was the right hand didn't want anything to do with the left hand. They just didn't. Um, and, and as a result of that, you had this kind of, you know, poor coordination and, and, and bad communication. Um, and, and again, you gotta understand that an announcer, even though the games were carried on TNT That announcer isn't necessarily familiar with the inner workings of Turner broadcasting and probably didn't watch wrestling.
0: All right, guys, check this out. I wanted to give the perfect Christmas present to my in-laws this past year. And the way to do that was to go to paintyourlife.com. there. You can get a professional hand painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. And here's how this works. You choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. And I know what you're thinking. Well, an original painting by a world-class artists done by hand, uh, it sounds like a great idea, but it's probably too expensive. Uh-uh, it's not true. It's very, very affordable. Uh, it blew me away how quickly this happened and how affordable it was. Cause back in the day, it felt like, man, this was a much more complicated process. Well, not at paintyourlife.com. The technology has made this so much easier And their technology, in fact, is such a user-friendly platform that you can do these custom-made hand-painted portraits in less than five minutes. That's how long it takes for you to get up and going. It really is a quick and easy process and you get your hand-painted portrait in just about three weeks and here's how it works. You send any picture, I'm talking of yourself, your children, your family, a special place, a cherished pet, you can even combine photos and boom. You're off to the races. This really makes the most ideal birthday gift or anniversary gift, or even a father's day gift, it's meaningful, it's personal, and it will be cherished forever. And this is a gift that I've given over and over. I actually have one of these of myself and my wife in our dining room. It was a gift to me last year for my birthday. Absolutely outstanding. Uh, We went on to make sure that my mom got one for Christmas and that my in-laws got one for Christmas. Dude, these are conversation starters and something they cherish forever. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get twenty percent off your painting. That's right, twenty percent off and free shipping. To get this offer, just text the word Eric to sixty-four thousand. That's Eric to sixty-four thousand. Text Eric to sixty-four thousand. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter the most. I should mention Meltzer had some pretty pointed comments about you. He says, after a good performance on pay-per-view, Bischoff was really annoying in commentary on this show. Both on this show and later on a Hotline Live interview segment, Bischoff was continually critical of UFC to the point he came off like a child, trying to insist that his dad could beat up someone else's dad and no one would believe him. Bischoff, who does have a kickboxing background, has the same threatened series of excuses as all kickboxing types, trying to discredit UFC because it is proof that at the top level, kickboxing isn't a very effective form of real fighting. (laughs) That
1: didn't age very well, did it, Davy boy?
0: (laughs) Uh, He also tries to, uh, well, you're right this. Bischoff (laughs) tries to put over WCW guys as being tougher, bringing up again on the hotline that Jerry Sags beat up Ken Shamrock and, quote, we have the police reports to prove it. That statement is leaving out several important parts of the story, such as Brian Knob's involvement and he was jumped by two men, and it was many years ago before Shamrock had done any training in shoot fighting. He kept insinuating that Ming or Sergeant Craig Pittman could beat Dan Severn, who they said was trying to negotiate to come in, but should beware because WCW is where the big boys play. And quote, Pittman used to throw him around when they were in college. Uh, Not to downplay that Pittman is clearly a skilled wrestler, but he had his chance to back up all the talk by Bischoff and Terry Taylor and lost to a guy nobody ever heard of who came into the fight with both eyes shut and was giving up more than a hundred pounds in body weight. Then Bischoff talked about chemo being knocked out in the first round in K one. Anyway, the deal is he goes through every single example where you're going on a rant about UFC guys. Where does this UFC rant from you come from? Is this you trying to sort of piggyback some street cred from the UFC guys? I mean, the UFC is not the juggernaut that it would go on to be here, but it certainly had a lot of, um, I don't know. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's maybe it had, uh, some buzz because it was underground because it was quote unquote real. And you're trying to sort of piggyback some of that? Or what's the thinking in you doing that sort of anti-UFC rant?
1: Because it sucked. It sucked. And I just want to point out once again how fucking stupid Dave Meltzer is most of the time when he talks about things he knows nothing about and his comment about, you know, kickboxers really don't do very well in UFC. Yeah, that's, like I said, that didn't age very well. Um, and you got to go back and look at what UFC was back in 95, in 94, whenever it started. It was just like, you ever watch Tough Man Contests? There was a television, there was a syndicated television show that was on late at night. I don't remember what years it was. And it was just tough guys, bouncers, no real skilled fighters, going in there and beating a dog shit out of each other. Of course, you know, people are going to get excited about that. People love that kind of shit. Um, Now, I'm not suggesting that there weren't some very, very talented mixed martial artists in UFC at that time. But for the most part, they were just tough guys, you know, guys that had, you know, a seventh degree black belt in street karate. What the fuck? What is that? It's just made up shit. You know, there were so many fighters that were, yeah, legitimate tough guys in a bar fight, but were not legitimate fighters, uh, professional fighters. Let's say, let's put it that way. Um, And there was a lot of them. And the UFC was a drizzling shits from a business perspective. They had a horrible reputation within the pay-per-view industry. A couple of years later, I was offered an opportunity to buy the UFC for $2 million because it was just losing money hand over fist. And it lost money hand over fist even under the frittatas until – you know, we saw Ultimate Fighter on Spike Television, which we talked about, I think, last week. So the the UFC, despite all of its buzz and you know, creepy little fucks like Dave Meltzer who got off watching it because it, <laughs> these big these big tough guys were doing things he couldn't imagine, because he is who he is, um, wasn't um, the UFC that we that we know of today, and there was a lot of sloppy shit. In there. Now, my rant, if you will, was probably a response to a question. If I was taking calls and answering questions on a hotline, guess what? That's probably why I went off on that rant. And it's probably why I positioned WCW as a, as a superior product and some of the people in WCW. Yeah, you know, granted, Craig Pittman lost to, uh, what was the guy's name? I think it was Yuki Nakai. You know, Yuki Nakai You weighed 150 pounds. Pittman was probably 240, 230 at the time. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it did happen. You know, but you know he 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 also won his first fight in that Valley Tudo tournament in 1995. Actually, a couple months before this event, when uh, he choked out his his opponent with a triangle armbar. So yeah, well, yeah, Craig Pittman wasn't a superstar in UFC by any stretch, but he was a legitimate MMA fighter. Um, And fought all the way up until 2011. I think he lost his last fight down in Tampa, but he was a legitimate fighter. What I was trying to point out, and and a great great amateur wrestler, which is why I brought him in in the first place under the recommendation of Brad Riggins, who I had a ton of respect for um, and still do. So, yeah, I positioned WCW in a way that I thought appropriate given that time and at least – at least my opinion, whether you agree with my opinion or you don't agree with my opinion, at least it's ba- it was based in some knowledge of martial arts and and not because I'm sitting at home jerking off to fucking magazines, you know, about wrestlers and, and, and UFC guys. You know, that's where Dave Meltzer comes from. But um, it was my opinion. But it was my opinion based on experience. It was my opinion based on, you know, a fair amount of knowledge of 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 martial arts and the industry of martial arts. Um, so yeah, fuck you, Dave.
0: Oh, <sighs> let's not uh, it. Yeah.
1: Well not. Fun. The, Good thing for Dave. I haven't had more coffee cause I was just
0: getting warmed up. It's, uh, it's also in the news and notes here that you meet with Ted Turner on June 5th in Atlanta and Meltzer would write, no word on anything that came out of the meeting.
1: That's because Terry Taylor and Gary Jester weren't in the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> ah. See, Dave doesn't know shit unless he's got a couple of stooges that don't know shit feeding him shit. So yeah, that's why there was no no yeah. Terry Taylor and, and uh, Gary Jester weren't in that meeting.
0: Well, is this the infamous nitro meeting, June fifth?
1: Well, I, I I can count on one hand with plenty of fingers left over the number of meetings I've had with Ted Turner. So I'm guessing if it was reported on June 5th, I, I would give Dave the benefit of the doubt here. As I said at the beginning of the show, I'm not even sure I had met with Ted yet. If 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 it's, if it's Dave reported that I met with him on, on June 5th, you know, I'm, I'm not going to call bullshit on it because I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. It was right around in that area, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt.
0: Interestingly enough, June 5th, 1995, also a Monday sort of fitting, uh, isn't that cool? Meltzer would report a few more WCW notes stemming from the announcement of the new Monday night television show, which may be called head to head, which starts on August 7th against raw nationwide on the TNT cable network. Nancy Sullivan, AKA woman from ACW was given a tryout as an announcer this past week. But the only word we've gotten is to expect Eric Bischoff to host and for the show to have a totally new look. The first show will tentatively emanate from Sarasota, Florida, and will take place one day after a (laughs) Sunday night clash of the champions from Daytona beach. It's expected the show will be done similar to raw in that three weeks will be taped at a time with the first week airing live. So obviously this is uh, (laughs) what will become nitro, but. The rumor and innuendo didn't have it quite right. It's not going to be head to head. Nancy Sullivan is not going to be an announcer. It's not going to start on August 7th. It's not happening in <laughs> Sarasota. It's not going to be taped three weeks at a time. How much of this is, uh, how much of this is coming from ideas that were legitimately bounced around and
1: Zero! How- zero, I'm not even going to let you provide cover for that piece of garbage. Zero. This was Dave doing what Dave always does. Making shit up or because he probably doesn't have that great of an imagination or he would have made up better shit. Right. Or more than likely, because he's 100 percent dependent on fucking stooges to get his information to share to the poor people. Uh, I feel sorry for the people that spend money on his dirt sheet because they think they're getting inside information that nobody else has. He makes it up. And if he's not making it up, he's relying upon people who are making it up. That's the most, that's, the, you just, you just encapsulated, you framed in a three dimensional portrait that is undeniable what a piece of garbage Dave Meltzer is. And this is a guy who will talk about others' lack of respect for the business. Are you fucking kidding me? There is not one vowel. One consonant, and all of the verbiage that you just read to me, there is not one bit of truth or accuracy in any of it. He's he's not real. He's not he's not um, writing about information that was discussed in a general way, and somehow some fucked up piece of garbage stooge who's as low a form of life as Meltzer is when it comes to this stuff is feeding him. He's not relying on that. Because none of that ever happened. Those discussions never took place. We were never going to call it head-to-head. It wasn't going to come from Sarasota. We weren't going to tape the show. For fuck's sake, that was one of the first things that I made clear to everybody when we were given this challenge to to launch Nitro. The first decision I made is we're going to go live. How he got that wrong, I don't know. Right. I just don't know, other than the fact that he's too fucking lazy, wow. he's too stupid, and he doesn't really have the relationships with the key people that he likes to let people think he does. That's one of the reasons why Guy Evans' book, Nitro, The Rise and Fall of Ted Turner's uh, World Championship Wrestling, whatever the title is, I've probably gotten screwed up right now because I'm a little hot at the moment. But that's one of the reasons why Guy Evans' book just absolutely destroys everything. Anything that Dave Meltzer ever will have to say again when it comes to covering wrestling from a journalistic point of view. Because Dave is too fucking lazy and doesn't have the balls or the relationships to pick up a phone and do an interview. And the people that he does interview most of the time are either working him because he's easy to work. The biggest, the easiest con in the world is to con another con man. It's an old saying. Dave's a perfect example. He's got stooges. He had, I don't know what he's got now, had stooges, filling them with all kinds of information that he could turn into a freaking dirt sheet. And none of it was accurate. Very little of it was accurate. And and when it was accurate, it was usually by accident. He's just, there you go. I'm I'm, I'm, okay. See, I forgot to tell myself not to... Not to get angry today, not to go off on a tangent. I forgot because we were (laughs) rushed this morning. I lost the amount of time that I normally have to prep for a show. Normally, I spend 15 or 20 minutes calming myself down, anticipating that I'm going to hear some ridiculous shit like this and convincing myself and disciplining myself not to overreact to it because a lot of our listeners get sick of hearing it. And I understand it because I get sick of doing it. But nonetheless, I'll endeavor to persevere and be more calm throughout the rest of the show. Sorry.
0: Thankfully we can talk about something a little happier Meltzer would report. Little Richard is being negotiated with to appear on the (laughs) Los Angeles pay-per-view show. If so, expect him to be in Johnny B bad's corner in a match. Of course, we know we recently lost little Richard. He passed away just last month. Uh, big wrestling fan. What did uh, what do you remember about trying to work with Little Richard here?
1: I don't think I really dealt with him. Um, I certainly would remember as a kid growing up in Detroit. I remember, you know, Little Richard was like the shit, yeah. right? I mean, I am mean, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember <laughs> when in the early '60s, uh, mid '60s, Little Stevie Wonder was Little Stevie Wonder he was i mean he was a very very young kid when he broke into the business and and or became a a big name and little richard was right there in that same era so if i would have had any discussions with little richard i would have clearly remembered it now it doesn't mean that we weren't talking to his agents and his managers and things like that but sure. a lot of times those conversations didn't unless it was somebody i had a relationship with um i oftentimes didn't get involved in those conversations until they began to you know, get close to the end and it was an actual negotiation. I might jump in, but I'm sure somebody reached out and maybe even did a deal, but it wasn't necessarily me.
0: Let's talk about Gordon solely. He's uh, the voice of wrestling in this era. I mean, he has been for a long, long time and Meltzer would report Gordon solely quit the promotion actually towards the end of last week. He'd already quit once before Slam but was talked into coming back and being inducted into the hall of fame. Jim Ross has uh, made it clear over the years that he tried to look out for Gordon when he was in WCW and perhaps Gordon wasn't being too good to himself. And, uh, would maybe overindulge a little bit and he found workarounds because he had such respect for the Dean of wrestling, but it feels like his time in wrestling is coming to an end here. What do you remember about working with Gordon and, and why was he adamant about moving on or was it his decision? <laughs> It
1: was a mutual decision and his health was an issue. I mean, that was, that made it easier, not easy, but it made it easier to kind of move Gordon along. Um, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying that, but I can't um, look. I like Gordon solely. There was a, in the CNN center, I wish I remembered the name of, there was a, there was an English pub in the CNN center up on the second floor overlooking the atrium. Hopefully I'll think of it before this podcast is over. But oftentimes Gordon would be in doing voiceovers or, you know, in in post-production at the same time I was. I'm going back to a period of time when I was an announcer, right? It was a third string announcer behind Tony and Jim Ross. And I'd finish up, you know, my day about, you know, usually we'd start at 9.30, 10 in the morning and we'd go, throughout the day. And I'd usually finish up around six or seven at night. And I was staying when I was commuting from Minneapolis to Atlanta at the time, which is the era that we're talking about here. Um, I was staying at the Omni hotel, which is right in the CNN center. So when I'd get done in post-production at the CNN center, I would often meet Gordon uh, up at this English pub and just sit and listen to him. Now he, he could put him away. Um, but I would just sit and listen to him, you know, tell wrestling stories, and his voice was so—it it was almost, I don't know, hypnotic or memori- mesmerizing, whatever the right word was. Because when, when when Gordon would get a a shot or two in him, not not, not 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 to the point where he was inebriated, but when he loosened up a little bit, and he wiped out a half a pack of cigarettes or more. He, he had this quality in his voice that could just suck you in and you could just imagine you could, as he's describing stories describing incidents, you were able to very easily visualize it. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was so good at what he did. It's one of the reasons why, I've, I've gone off on this a lot recently on the adfreeshows.com interactions that I've been doing with a lot of fans. Um, when I talk about the role of a good play-by-play person and the role of a good color commentator and how we've lost a lot of that magic that a great play-by-play person and a great color person can deliver to a show. Gordon was one of the, he was a radio voice. You know, he had that just, he had that deep, just ultra dimensional type of voice. And he could, he could create pictures in your head in a way that very few people could. So sitting down next to a bar or sitting down at a bar next to Gordon Solie, having a couple uh, scotch and sodas and, uh, or whatever it is he drank and uh, listening to those, some those stories w- was a highlight for me. You know, this saying, you know, you, you never really know what you have until it's gone. I was thinking about that the other day, you know, at the anniversary of dusty Rhodes passing, you know, and I, I that's so true. You know, if I could go back in time and, and have five minutes or ten minutes to relive a moment of my career, I would probably divide it evenly between Dusty sitting and having a beer with Dusty Rhodes and sitting and having a drink with Gordon Solie, Because both of those guys could suck you into their stories and, and bring things to life in a way that very few people could.
0: All right, fellas, listen up. New product alert. Not just any old product. It's the weed whacker from Manscape.com. What the fuck is a weed whacker? Well, what the fuck is growing out of your ear and nose? See, that's what we're really talking about. That unsightly ear hair and that goddamn nose hair. That. How does this get there? This wasn't here when we were little boys, but now that we got hair on our peaches, we got hair everywhere. Well. My pieces are smooth. I'm sure yours are too. Thanks to manscape, but ain't it some shit that while we don't have ball hair anymore, thanks to manscape, we still got this shit growing out of our ears and nose, well, let me tell you, they've changed the game forever over at manscape.com with the new weed whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology, which is going to help you prevent those nicks and snags and tugs and those delicate holes. And yeah, your nose is a delicate hole. We've all pulled a hair out of our nose, old school, with our fingers. Ooh, it sucks. What doesn't suck though, is the new weed whacker manscape has this thing running 9,000 RPMs on that motor. It's also got an incredible 360 degree rotary dual blade system. That's a bunch of fancy talk for saying you can get rid of your ear, hair, and nose hair, and it won't hurt. And, uh, it'll make you feel better. It'll certainly make you look better. I mean, here's the deal. The most unsightly thing in the world is a nose hair. They even did a study for this over at manscaped.com 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. You know what we're talking about. It's time to upgrade your manscaping routine with manscaped.com's weed whacker. And right now you can get 20% off plus free shipping. When you use our promo code 83 weeks check this out. You've got to go look right now for yourself. It's manscaped.com. And right now you can get 20% off and free shipping when you use our promo code 83weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Just use the promo code 83weeks. What are you waiting for? Get rid of those damn nose hairs and ear hairs. Go whack your weeds at manscaped.com. Well, if you don't know much about Gordon Soli and you're listening to this podcast, go watch some old wrestling and, uh, you'll see what Eric means about his voice sort of being intoxicating. Let's talk about uh, great American bash. Uh, the actual pay-per-view before we do though, we should mention that, uh, Meltzer had quite the write up behind the scenes. He says behind the scenes, the show wasn't nearly as smooth as it appeared on camera. As expected, Marcus Bagwell's leg infection caused Jim Duggan to replace him in the international amateur star Craig Pittman's first career major show match. For reasons that are a bit more confusing, Road Warrior Hawk, who was to do a live radio spot and work a squash match on television and shoot an angle for the impromptu impromptu pay-per-view match, wasn't even in Dayton. Apparently, he stayed home in Minneapolis to hang with his father since it was Father's Day, and as of Sunday night, the general impression around WCW was he was through. But by Monday, everything had been smoothed over Hawks. Last second challenge match with bunkhouse buck was changed to a tag match with buck and Dick Slater taking on the Harlem heat. So there's more to break down. We'll take a pause for there and talk about these two pieces of business. And we'll go, you know, backwards. Hawk opting out of working the pay-per-view and fulfilling an obligation to hang out with his dad on father's day. gets smoothed over the next day. What's up with that?
1: Uh, I can't tell you because I don't know that anything that Meltzer reported was actually true. I mean, I can't I can't respond to something that is most likely bullshit with an actual kind of true response. I I don't know what the issue was. I really don't, you know, um, not making excuses, but it was a minor issue in the big scheme of things. Not that it wasn't important, not that it didn't matter. Um, if if any talent was scheduled to appear and didn't, there was probably a reason for it. If indeed there's any accuracy to, to the fact that it got smoothed over, it's likely because there was – a reason it got smoothed over. Perhaps he had already asked for the time off. Hawk had already asked for the time off, perhaps he wasn't even really originally scheduled for who knows. I I just can't, I can't bring facts and analysis to a bullshit statement. So I'm going to take a pass on that one.
0: Melissa would say perhaps the biggest change of all came due to an article in the local newspaper written by former Miami Herald reporter, Alex Marvez, who had just recently started working in Dayton. Now to be clear, Eric, this is not Brian Alvarez, who...
1: I know, (laughs) I know, I know. I deserve that. Go ahead. Get a belly laugh out of that one at my expense. I still haven't met Alex Marvez. I'd like to apologize to him face-to-face. I was really, really um, out of line. I I admit when I'm wrong. Someday that'll happen, I hope. But until until then, so be it.
0: Marvez's article listed what apparently he expected the finishes to be for every match on the show, and since WCW gave away a few finishes already at the last TV tapings, putting together a reasonable good set of guesses would have been pretty close to correct. In this case, too close. WCW officials totally panicked since Marvez's finishes were 100 percent on the money, and everyone was trying to guess who leaked them to Marvez. While I don't know for sure, I'm relatively sure there was no leak. And Marvez just deduced, considering he had DDP versus Dave Sullivan in the article as a wrestling match, rather than an arm wrestling match, I would deduce there was no leak. We have different versions of this story, but the consensus seems to be that Booker, Ric Flair, and others were so mad that they wanted to make sure that Marvez's story didn't have any credibility by changing one or two finishes. One of which was in the main event This naturally made Savage a happy camper since up until Thursday, he was supposed to beat Flair. And then supposedly it was changed to to him losing due to the outside interference of a booking meeting, because everyone realized Flair badly needed a credibility boost and outside interference was set up for their gimmick match in July. So a lot to unpack here, but the gist is Marvez, just knowing that you guys have taped some TV ahead of time, guesses what's going to happen on the pay-per-view and in a panic move, when he nails it, Rick freaks out. Do you remember that?
1: No, I don't. I'm not saying it wasn't true, by the way. Um, but no, I just I just don't remember it. And what I what I do remember though is you when when you started reading, you know, Dave's backstage report or whatever, however he referred to it as. I don't think I remember seeing Dave Meltzer backstage. So it's interesting that he has so much information about the, the all of the things that were going on backstage when. He wasn't there. I mean, I just got to leave it at that.
0: Goddamn. What? Uh, it's just. Let's talk about Bagwell's leg injury.
1: The situation. No, 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 I want no, 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 no. You can't do that to me. Did I say something that offended you well, or do you out want me to, do you want me to dig in deeper or try to, I will.
0: Well, I just wanted to know if you guys changed the finishes because it leaked and instead it was a fuck Dave Meltzer. He wasn't there. It's like, Goddamn, help me out. Well, I, I
1: mean, possibly we did. I guess maybe I should have said this differently,
0: and I apologize to you, Conrad, and to all
1: of our listeners. I didn't mean to gloss over it. I'm just saying, I I don't remember it. I wasn't booking at the time, if you recall. Right. And so I wasn't like in the in in, in the. In the foxhole, you know, trying to figure out finishes and and what we should do. That just wasn't my role at that time. Now, maybe Ric Flair has a better memory of it, or Kevin Sullivan has a better memory of it, because they were the ones that were actually dealing with it. I wasn't. So maybe elements of that are true. I can I can see it. I can see how Alex Marvez, and I'm assuming that he was watching what was happening in worldwide and we shot those shows quite quite far ahead of time right so it wouldn't it wouldn't take a fucking you know spaceship you know captain to figure things out it really wasn't that hard so i can certainly see how alex marvez after watching some of the things that were going on was able to predict the finishes uh, it's unfortunate but i can see it so maybe there's some truth to that aspect of it, but in terms of how how people backstage reacted to that, you know, and whether it you know manifested it, it itself into a situation where we had to change up a finish in a main event, that's those are discussions that I was not a part of, so I can't comment on them. I don't mean to do, dismiss the question; it's a good question, and and I'm guessing that there were elements of it, particularly the Alex Marvez predicting the finishes and people backstage trying to accommodate that and, and manage that situation. I can certainly see how that happened, but I I just can't give you the granular type of details and reactions to it because I wasn't a part of it.
0: Well, I guess the reason that piece fascinated me so much is in a few months, you're going to be giving the taped results from raw live on nitro. So I just didn't feel like this is something you would particularly care about or, or, you know, find all that important. And maybe it was the old school in flair who still wanted to quote unquote, protect the business. And maybe he just was worried about, Oh man, well, if they've got the results, then they'll know it's all the work. Now, obviously, you know, uh, you, you, know what,
1: Kyler, I, if I had to guess again, cause I'm, I have to guess, right. I wasn't a part of the conversations. I, I would just knowing Ric Flair and knowing Randy Savage, I think if anybody wanted to change the finish as a result of it leaking, it would have been Randy. Mm. That's that's my guess. And that's that's just because I know how Randy, he was so passionate about every aspect of the business that if he felt that the finish being leaked was going to in any way take away – from the match itself or, or the emotion that he was trying to create in that match, I think Randy at least would have been the most vocal about it. You know, Rick and Randy may have absolutely agreed that we've got to change the finish, but Randy would have been the loudest
0: voice in the room. Just knowing his personality. Let's talk about, uh, a bit of a tease that maybe doesn't go exactly where people hoped it might. Meltzer would write what is true is that WCW did perhaps its sleaziest come on to date, which covers a lot of ground and a last minute tease before the show started, it started with an angle on the live main event show where Vader attacked both Nick Bockwinkle and Eric Bischoff, and then was attacked from behind by Hulk Hogan and the two wound up in a pull apart as the live show was in its closing seconds. Vader came out again, demanding to Bischoff for the match with Hogan to take place quote unquote right now. Bischoff then said, as we speak, Bach Wiggle is at a meeting with Hogan and Jimmy Hart, Vader, again, reiterated wanting the match tonight, just as the television show goes off the air with the precedent of an impromptu match being added set last month and followed again with heat versus Slater and buck being announced coming from a last minute angle moments earlier, the impression fans were led to believe was there was a good chance. Hogan Vader is going to be added to the show, of course. It doesn't happen. Do you think in hindsight, this was a mistake to tease a match as that's almost like a pay-per-view preview and then not actually deliver it?
1: No, no, I don't. It's episodic television. Yes. There were probably some people that were hoping there were probably some people that were anticipating. There may be some, may have been some people that felt cheated because they were hoping or anticipating something was going to happen that didn't. Um, but we were also building up the tension, building up the story, creating anticipation for the next pay-per-view while we were doing this one. So I can understand if some people were angry or felt like they were misled. I get it. But that happens. You know, and we're booking episodic television and, and yeah, we're trying to create some energy and we're trying to create some mystique and we're trying to create a buzz. And yeah, we're trying to market our pay-per-view because that's how we made money. But, was it intention? Did we sit back and go, okay, how can we con people into believing this because this pay-per-view isn't really going to draw because Alex Marvin has given away all of our finishes. And oh, my God. We're panicking. Oh, my God. Let's do something sleazy. Let's go to our sleaze catalog. Let's see. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. O. Oh, wait a minute. V, Vader. Let's make Vader challenge Hulk Hogan, demand that he wants him now because maybe then we can screw people out of some money and we'll convince them to buy a pay-per-view that we're not going to deliver. That's what—that's Dave's premise and all of that garbage. That's not what happened. Yeah, we were—we were, tr- we were tr- the big pay-per-view. Great American Bash was not the big pay-per-view. It was not a tentpole pay-per-view. Guess what was?
0: Bash at the Beach.
1: There you go, fellas. Come on. It, 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 so, so to suggest that we were doing something on free television in order to help build anticipation for a pay-per-view that was less than a month away. And somehow we blurred the lines between whether it was going to happen at this pay-per-view or next pay-per-view. Cause Vader used the words, I demand we want it now. Or I, I, I demand we have the match now, right now, right here, right now. Yeah. It, it, it probably caused some people to expect that it was going to happen, you know, on, on a great American bash, but guess what? I don't care. I'd do it again.
0: So there, take it. Well, I think it's shitty. Um, I don't care. Well, you know, I get, I get to talk on this show too, as a rule. Um, what I was going to say though, is if I'm at home with my parents and I'm trying to convince my dad, Hey dad, there's a pay-per-view tonight. Can we get it? And say, ah, oh, I don't know who's on it. And I would say, well, Hey, there's a live little pre-show right now. Let's flip it over. And we're watching. And you know, they announce the whole Harlem heat match that comes to be on this very show. And they announce that it's going to be on the pay-per-view. And then in the closing seconds, Vader attacks, everybody saying he wants Hogan tonight and Hogan attacks him and he's demanding a match with you or, or from you tonight for Hulk Hogan. And you say, well, they're in a meeting about it right now. I think my dad would say, oh shit, Hulk Hogan and Vader. Yeah. Let's get this pay-per-view fast forward three hours. The shit doesn't happen. Might be the last time dad lets me get a WCW pay-per-view
1: where were you when I needed you or your dad?
0: (laughs) 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 I mean, don't you think that's logical that you could get your hopes up thinking, Oh shit. Yeah. Well, if that's happening, I'm in and then it doesn't.
1: Yeah. But no, I mean, I like I I said in my uh, semi rant, Right before you reminded me that you get to talk too, I apologize. I just, I just get excited, Conrad. I don't mean to be rude. I try to apologize whenever I'm going to interrupt because I know how rude that is. But I get so excited sometimes, and and, and I I lose a little bit of control. So I apologize well, to you and and obviously to your dad. You know, next time I see him, I'll slip him the twenty nine ninety five that he may have spent for this pay per view. <laughs>
0: Uh, we appreciate that. Let's let's do talk about money. Meltzer would say the problem is Hogan's contract per pay per view appearance is so high, so just appearing on the show would be financially prohibitive unless there were weeks of promotion going in. Of course, none of the fans at home knew any of this, and WCW was counting on those Hogan fans that popped the big four buy rates of the last year, who probably weren't going to buy this show because there was no Hogan to impulsively call their cable company at the last minute. And it should have worked in some cases, but here's the thing though. Let's talk about the money because this is mentioned a few times in Meltzer's writing over the years. And I know you always take great issue with it. So let's clarify here. He says that Hogan's guarantee here for pay-per-view is rumored to be a $300,000 guarantee versus 25% of the pay-per-view revenue, whichever is greater. Uh, this is the 1995 or the contract he's operating under in 1995, not the extension that he would sign later during the height of the NWO. Is that close? 300 grand guarantee. Nope. Okay. Nope. Nope.
1: Nope. Not even close. Not even, not even in the same ballpark as some of the stuff I've heard in the past. Absolutely not true. And I'll tell you what it was. I'm not embarrassed by it. Hulk. And again, context, everybody. As you're listening to to the sewage that that is digital sewage that that was spewed on a regular basis by Dave Meltzer, if you're gonna if you're gonna listen to it or if you're gonna judge anything that was going on by how Dave reported things, you have to understand the context. When Hulk Hogan came, when Hulk Hogan left WWF, he thought he was done with wrestling. He was pursuing acting opportunities. He had a, a show by the producers of Baywatch called Thunder in Paradise that was doing really well, by the way, internationally. It wasn't a big hit in the United States because syndication was already starting to take a hit. But nonetheless, it was a, f- it was a successful project. He thought he was done with wrestling. When Halt decided to put his toe back in the water with WCW, he didn't want to be a full time performer. He didn't want to be on the sh- on a road 300 days a year or 200 or 150 or fucking 60 for that matter. Right? His kids were very young. He was he was living a great life. He had plenty of money in the bank. He he wanted to get back into wrestling but not in a way that would have overwhelmed his his life. So we uh, we, we came up with a, a plan. Hulk would be. now again remember. You know when we brought in Hulk Hogan and what was it, ninety four? I'm not sure how many pay per views we had at the time, but I don't think we had moved up to twelve quite yet. Um, but whatever the number was, let's say it was six pay per views a year. Hulk was committed to four of those, not every one. Now that wasn't because he was so expensive we couldn't afford him, because that's what jerk off Dave would want you to believe. It was because if you only have six pay-per-views, you've got a guy like Hulk Hogan. You want to keep that character special. You don't want to see him every single pay-per-view. You don't want every television story evolving around any one guy. You just don't. Any more than we would want to see, and I'm not trying to compare Hulk Hogan to The Undertaker. It would be a fair, unfair comparison at this point in terms of their respective stages of their careers. But would you want to see Rock come back right now? And headline every pay-per-view. Now, people's initial reaction would be, sure, because, you know, things are what they are right now. But you'd get real tired of that, too. When you have somebody at that level, a Rock, a Stone Cold Steve Austin, a Hulk Hogan at this time, um, you've got to be a little bit careful about overexposing them. Because you dilute the value. You you actually um, diminish the anticipation and the ability to create it that draws people to a pay-per-view and convinces them to spend their money. So the the choice to not use Hulk Hogan On a low-level pay-per-view, because Great America Bash, had, as you pointed out, we were just now bringing it back. Our June pay-per-views were typically some of the lowest-rated pay-per-views of the year. So why are we going to bring back one of our key characters who we want to bring back for the bash at the beach? Because that's one of our more successful pay-per-views, and the one that we wanted to build as a tentpole. That's why we didn't have Hulk Hogan on this particular pay-per-view, not because we couldn't have afforded him. Hell, I could afford to put him under contract, and his deal, I believe, what was his deal? $400,000 per -per pay-per-view for four pay-per-views? But it wasn't against a percentage of the pay-per-view, whatever was larger. That's a little, that's a not-so-nuanced fact that is totally off-base. Now, did Hulk Hogan have language in his contract back in 1995 that would have allowed him to get bonuses on pay-per-view? Yes, he did. If— those pay-per-views exceeded a certain threshold. And by exceeding those thresholds, WCW would have been far more profitable had they been without Hulk Hogan. Yes, he was in, in, in a position to get a percentage of that threshold increase, but not you know, a minimum guarantee against a percentage, whichever was larger. That's totally bullshit. Nothing even close to that.
0: All right. You've heard us talk about it before, but it's time to mention it again. But first let me ask you a question. Do you get bored with your workouts? If you're looking for a workout that keeps you engaged, learning, excited, and motivated, a workout that's never boring and always challenging, man, you've just got to check out fight camp fight camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. They provide you with all the gear and the top trainers, everything you need to get great workouts in the boxing workout has always been ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape. And it's honestly one of the most fun ways to combine cardio and strength training. And I've got to admit the, the fun thing about this to me is it's one hell of a stress reliever. If you work in a competitive business, if you feel like your job or your life is a bit of a grind, sometimes it's fun to blow off a little steam and man, I can't think of a better way than to do that at joinfightcamp.com. by the way, this comes with all the gear that you need. We're talking the best freestanding punching bag on the market. Great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps. And they're unique punch tracking sensors that show you the real time progress and stats on any iOS device. It's even cool to do this with your kids. That's right. Fight camp even offers kids gloves because it's meant to be enjoyed by the whole family. It's one of the only workouts that kids can actually get involved in. Unlike those weight machines or cycling or other at home workout gear. That's often dangerous or just not sized for kids. But what's cool about this is. You get access to 400 different workouts. This is for all fitness and all skills. So you don't have to worry about, oh man, am I too out of shape for this? No, all fitness levels can make this work. And even if you're new to boxing, they've got a 12 week starter program that teaches you the fundamentals of boxing while you still get a great workout every time and oh, by the way, they've got six highly qualified trainers. And yeah, one of them is a pro MMA fighter. You've got to check this out and they make it easy. You can try fight camp workouts for free. Just download the fight camp app and select the workout of your choice. It's a great way to test your trainer and you can buy now and pay later. Don't get any easier than that. Use a firm financing to get your gym right away, make easy, low monthly payments. And the gym is yours to keep at the end of your term. And if you're approved for financing, you pay less than hundred dollars a month, which is cheaper than almost every boxing gym I've ever heard of. Plus you save on the commute and the time and the gas. And since you have up to five accounts per household, you can get a full boxing gym for the whole family and under 20 bucks a person. Check this out. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now, for a limited time offer, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to joinfightcampcom 83weeks. That's right. Try Fight Camp for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your money train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results to try fight camp for 30 days just go to joinfightcamp.com 83 weeks that's joinfightcamp.com slash 83 weeks let's uh, let's talk about buff bagwell I think you're gonna have fun with this my mouth wrote the situation with Marcus bagwell's leg infection went something like this. Bagwell had calf implants put in, in late may he was in pain (laughs) almost from the beginning and had circulatory problems. And I guess he got infected from the operation. And if he hadn't had them taken out, the infection could have ended his career. A lot of fans knew this implant story from years later, I believe he appeared on MTV and they did a whole segment about him getting calf implants. And Meltzer would comment here. I can understand a competition bodybuilder, but why a wrestler who wears long tights would want calf implants is harder to figure. What do you remember about Buff Bagwell's fantastic calf implant story? I I just, I remember it when it happened.
1: I just, the ribbing and the, uh, I mean, I, I don't know how Dave Meltzer or anybody else hadn't heard about this because the entire roster was laughing and talking about it i mean th- it took a long time for marcus to live that town a long time nobody even tried to hide the fact that they were having a great time <laughs> at, at bagwell's expense by laughing and joking about this and it had been out for a long time but i do remember it the ribbon that he took You know, I can only imagine how he felt coming back. I think the only reason he was able to come back and work his way through it is because he was so vain he didn't care. You know, he probably felt at the time that, you know, having massive calves was, you know, one of the most important things in his life. Maybe the reason he wore long tights is because he felt insecure about his minuscule calves. I don't know. Maybe that was a weak spot. You know, he he, he was a bodybuilder. He, you know, if you look at him, you know, with his long tights on, he looks great, you know, at this point. But maybe when he looked at himself in the mirror, he saw something other than what everybody else saw. And he probably focused on these little, you know bird legs of his and went, fuck, I got to get this fixed. And my genetics, my DNA, just my body's not responding to my calf workouts. I've been sucking down protein shakes. I've been taking all these special vitamins. I've been doing all these things I've been doing. Hell, I cannot, I've been, I I just can't get my my calves any bigger. So hell, I, I was, I met this girl who, she, silicone, that's the answer. I know what I'll do. I'll get silicone implants in my calves. Works for strippers, should work for me. I don't know what the thought process was, but he paid the price.
0: (laughs) Yes, he did. So the pre-show has Harlem heat and the Fantastics. Um, I have to admit, I didn't remember this match happened and it's not on the pay-per-view version. You've got to see it on main event, but the Fantastics in 1995, I mean, a few years prior to this, a lot of people were saying they were one of the best tag teams in the biz, and I don't know that they ever really got um an opportunity on the big stage this is one of them though a big time tv match against harlem heat who are obviously a well-established team mouser was a little disappointed uh, do you remember having any interest ever in, in doing some long-term business with the fantastics or do you think by this point it probably just passed them by a little bit
1: no i think it passed them by a little bit and again this is just more you know rick flair kevin sullivan's um booking and 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 roster building than it was mine i was familiar with them obviously i liked their work i I didn't have a strong feeling one way or the other whether how important they would be to the roster um and that was really like i said that was really up to rick and and kevin probably more than me but uh, i enjoyed watching them you know they they had great energy
0: the next match also on the pre-show is craig Pittman, and uh, he's going to make chris canyon Submit to code red, which is a short arm scissor. It gets a dud rating. Uh, and this is when you're sort of going off on the UFC stuff, but and a very young Chris Canyon here in 95 against, uh, I guess this is one of Craig Pittman's first two matches he's ever had. Kind of fun to see a young Chris Canyon here. We've also got, as we mentioned earlier, Dick Slater and bunkhouse buck picking up a win over Frankie Lancaster and Barry Houston. They got three minutes and 52 seconds. Meltzer hated it, called it a weak match with a clumsy finish and gave it a negative star and a quarter. Let's get to the actual pay-per-view show. Uh, we've already touched on the Hogan stuff. Uh, we should also mention that Sherry and Colonel Parker had a little interview segment spat. Um, but Tony Schiavone on the pay-per-view Meltzer would say it was surprising to see Tony on the pay-per-view since he recently underwent neck surgery. And has suffered some fairly serious post-surgery complications since he was obviously in pain and not enjoying life. One would have to compliment his performance. Tony has talked a little bit about his neck fusion surgery. It's not something that you expect to hear an announcer say that he needed, but this was a traumatic deal for Tony that he still suffers a little bit of after effects from to this day. What do you remember about Tony, you know, uh, being out here and and still gutting through the (laughs) pay-per-view.
1: Ah, uh, Tony is such a pro and it, it's interesting, you know, you bring this up now because our, as I watched the show this morning, you know, prepping for this podcast, I noticed how uncomfortable Tony was turning his head from side to side and I had forgotten all about the neck surgery uh, while I was watching the show this morning. So as you discuss it here and you bring it to my attention, yeah, it just goes to show what a pro Tony really is and how tough he is. Um, cause that clearly, I mean, you could see it in his face now, now that you bring that up to me, now it all makes sense. But I was thinking, God, Tony looks stiff as a board here. He looks like he's really uncomfortable. Of course he was. He was probably in a massive amount of pain. Um, but he, he, he he pulled through, he was a pro
0: The first match on the actual pay-per-view is Alex Wright and Brian Pillman, and you talk about wrestling talent. We got it here in spades and you give them plenty of time, 15 minutes and 26 seconds. Meltzer would say that Wright, who was almost totally booed to the point that after the show, the decision was pretty well made to turn him heel and make him the protege of Ric Flair. What? Did you ever hear that? That there was maybe a. Yeah, dude, Ric Flair. I mean,
1: you got to talk to your father-in-law on this now. Come on. Ric Flair was Alex Wright's biggest fan. Ric Flair loved Alex Wright and really believed in Alex Wright. And and I think for good reason. I I will admit, especially you know, with hindsight being 2020 and all, um, I think the way Alex Wright's character was presented, I think that you know the disco dancing German was probably not the greatest idea. <laughs> um, it, it, <laughs> disco disco dancing is putting it mildly. Uh, he, he came out dancing like a male stripper. Yeah just not you know guys aren't going to get off on that. well some some might but for the most part the wrestling audience is not going to really respond favorably to that type of character. So to take a young kid who's obviously a great looking guy, fantastic shape come out and have him you know as a dick dancer at, but but you want him as a baby face. C- 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 come on <laughs> the square peg round hole. That's not going to work, but they did it anyway. We did it anyway, by the way, we did it anyway. It was Rick's idea. I allowed it to happen. So it's a collective. We, um, even though I think that that character, Alex character I'm not trying to shirk responsibility for it here, but I think Alex's character was introduced long before I had anything to do with creative, um, or even got involved. But nonetheless, it didn't work. But if you if you look at... well, I'll tell you what I felt when I watched this match. First of all, I loved this match. This was a great match. And the second note that I made to myself was it's a damn shame. Meaning it's a damn shame that Alex Wright didn't come out of the shoot as a character that the audience would have been responsive to as a babyface, as opposed to bringing him out as a dancing disco German dick dancer. Um, I, I think if they would have brought him out in the right way and given him a character that people could have gotten behind because athletically and from a psychology point, even at this point, you know, he's green as green can be at this point. What was he? 19 years old, 20 years old. He was so green, but he, he looked fantastic for the stage that he was at in his career. He looked fantastic. I think the biggest challenge with Alex Wright even as he gained more experience later on is his legs were so, he had legs like a freaking giraffe. I mean, he just had legs up to his earlobes. And as a result of that, he looked a lot slower than he was. He didn't look as crisp and as fast as he really is or was at this time. Um, he just looked somewhat awkward and slow because he was just so gangly. He just had so much, his legs just went on forever. But the the other note I made here is Brian Pillman. God, Brian worked so hard to get Alex over. He did such a great job for Alex here. This is something that, you know, when if you're a young, aspiring performer, wherever you are in your career, even if you're an experienced one, go back and watch this match and watch how hard Brian Pillman worked with Alex to make Alex look as good as he possibly could. So much respect for Brian and what Brian did in this match because it it could have Brian could have eaten him up. Brian could have made him look so bad, it it, it, it would have not been funny. But Brian chose to, to go the extra mile, couple extra miles, and make sure that, that Alex looked great in this and, and he did.
0: SaveWithConrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Lindsey in Wisconsin. He left us a five-star review and said super easy refi, probably easier than when we did this four years ago with a local credit union. Find out how easy it is right now yourself at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. That's SaveWithConrad.com. Let's uh let's mention that Meltzer loved the match too. He gave it three and three quarter stars. Really, really well done. And Meltzer also wrote this about Alex Wright. With all the hatred directed at Wright because Flair gave him that deadly dancing gimmick, a lot of people are missing that this guy's improved a lot over the past six months. And it said three of the better matches on WCW TV over the past several weeks. So Alex Wright is progressing nicely And, and to your point, Brian Pillman really helps him get there. Next up, we've got Dave Sullivan winning an arm wrestling contest with uh, Diamond Dallas Page in a match where Sullivan put his Rabbit Ralph up against the date with Diamond Doll. <laughs> this is a goddamn pay per view. What the fuck <laughs> are you doing making people pay for this?
1: Hey, let's get Ric Flair on the phone right now. No, let's call no. him. Come on. Come on. I didn't book this pay per view. Let's call Rick. Uh, kidding aside. I laughed my ass off. 7 30 this morning, I'm up in my office laughing, belly laughing. Oh my God, I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. And I, you're going to shit yourself when I say this. I thought David Sullivan did a great job in his promo with Gene. He was so into character and he improv the whole thing. Nobody scripted it for him. You know, we did have a bunch of little. You know, writers running around, you know, hiding and writing little one liners for people and hoping that they make it to air. This was just Dave freelancing and improv. And he did such a great job. The subtle, I mean, look, this was goofy as all get out. I'm not trying to suggest anybody go back and watch this pay per view and take this angle or anything associated with it seriously. It's purely entertainment. But damn, it was funny. Damn, I loved it. I just, as much as I hate gimmicky stuff, this one just made me, I, I had tears in my eyes. I was laughing so hard with David up there with the little, and he's talking to the fucking rabbit. That's a part where I lost it. He's actually having a conversation with the rabbit while Gene Okerlund is talking to him. Come on, you can't write that stuff. That was awesome.
0: Well, it's silly, fun TV shit, but pay-per-view. Ugh. I mean, I, I could do you just, not? What do you not watch pay per view to be entertained? I do, but I'm just thinking if I really did sell my dad on buying this pay per view, and he's thinking he's getting <laughs> Vader Hogan, and he's getting a motherfucker talking to a rabbit during an arm wrestling match.
1: <laughs> you know what? I met your dad briefly when I was when Lori and I were in Huntsville. Yeah. And you know how when you meet somebody, you can just
0: tell they don't really like you, <laughs> even if they've never met you before. <laughs> You know, what's funny is y'all drink the same beer and, uh, he's at his pool summer long. Like, I don't know, May 1st to October 1st, he's, uh, working around in the backyard and drinking beer and grilling out. So you would be best of friends with him, but yeah, he's probably still a little salty that he thought he was getting Vader Hogan and he got a goddamn rabbit <laughs> arm wrestling match. <laughs> instead.
1: Hey, at least I know why now, yeah. at least next time I meet him, I'll just apologize. I'll hand him his twenty nine ninety five back. I'll apologize for Ric Flair. For putting on this ridiculous little, you know, humor gimmick match um, on the pay-per-view, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize on Rick's behalf for that move, um, and we'll sit down and have a beer and laugh about
0: it. Roll tie, Let's talk about the next match. It's uh, Jim Duggan and Sergeant Craig Pittman. Duggan gets a win by DQ. Eight minutes and thirteen seconds is the timer. It gets a dud rating. Uh, the write-up from Meltzer says the graphic underneath Duggan read Marcus Bagwell twice. Uh, <laughs> speaking of trivia, Pittman's nickname is Pit Bull. Not a pro wrestling creation, but a nickname given to him as an amateur. Fans were chanting USA, which was more moronic than usual given Pittman's Marine Corps gimmick, which is a shoot. The match got awful as time went on. Pittman got the code red on Duggan, who made it to the ropes, but Pittman didn't break it for the DQ. After all the pushing of how Pittman went through UFC competition, he can't even beat Duggan. His finish was changed from the original plan, either due to the Marvez article or other forces within the company wanting to save Duggan from doing the submission. Dud rating. So, you do have big plans for Sergeant Craig Pittman. I get it, um, but it feels like those are changed. I hope not, based on Marvez's writing. Like, I mean, he still comes off as a badass, but. Wouldn't it just been easier to just have him tap out Duggan or have Duggan submit? I don't guess tap out's really a common thing here in '95.
1: Mm, no, it wouldn't have been a common thing. Hold on one second, I'm gonna make a quick call. Sure. Speed down. Do, 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 do. Hey, Wendy. How oh. are you, Wendy? It's oh, been j- a while. Jesus. Is Rick available? No. Can, 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 do you mind? Can, I'm on. I'm on live with with Conrad. Thompson, we're doing my podcast. And I really like it. Just, I want to get, I, I just want to check on this thing with Alex Marvez and giving away finishes and blah, blah, blah. I just want to see if there's no, okay. But hey, give him my best. Tell him his son in law says hi and he's he's welcome on the show anytime. Okay, bye. No, Rick's not available, so I can't tell you whether or not the finish was changed as a result of Alex Marvez or not. However, I have to agree with Dave Meltzer here as much as it pains me to do so. This thing was like. Just screwed from the get go. Yeah. I mean, here you got a guy coming out. Oh, before we. Okay. You got Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who's been on television by this point for how many years? Coming out waving a two by four and an American flag.
0: Right.
1: I mean, he's the epitome of blue collar USA. You could not get a more clear picture of the Hacksaw Jim Duggan character than that. He carries a two by four and he waves a flag. And then we bring out a heel. US Marine. I guess he was positioned to be a heel, which makes it even more bizarre to me as a genuflect. So, yeah, this thing was just a shit show from the get-go. You got a US Marine versus a flag-waving all-American blue-collar guy. Who ooh, boo, that's bad. That's so bad. And Pittman, you know, he was a great amateur wrestler. I think he wrestled at the university of Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken, he was a great amateur wrestler. And I, I came to know Pittman through my relationship with Brad Ringens, who had his finger kind of on the pulse of a lot of, um, amateur wrestling beyond, beyond the collegiate level, Greco Roman freestyle and that type of thing. That's why I met Craig Pittman. I didn't know him before that or his background, but Craig was still pretty greedy. He was trained by Terry Taylor, according to Wikipedia. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know where Pittman was really at in terms of his experience level in the ring at this point. Clearly, he was very green. But to throw out, you know, Craig Pittman representing the U.S. Marine Corps uh, as a heel against an all-American two-by-four waving flag carrying Hacksaw Jim Duggan, God, that was a bad idea.
0: It was a bad idea. Next up though, it's an interesting match. We never thought we would see the Harlem heat working against bunkhouse, buck and Dick Slater. This feels like the most WCW thing ever from 1995. Meltzer would say despite the angle early in the show, the bout was sluggish and lacked heat fans picked up on heat doing the, or being faces since they were working that role by the end finish would see Booker T cradle buck. But then Parker would interfere to turn him over. And as the ref was distracted, Sherry runs in and turns the pile over again for the pin. Meltzer, not a fan, gives it a dud rating. You know, these are four very talented performers. I think Buckhouse Buck was probably underrated. I had an irrational hate for him. Still do. But listen, Jimmy Golden could work. Uh, Dick Slater, same story. Harlem Heat, legit Hall of Famers. But for some reason, I agree with Dave here. It just didn't click. What'd you think?
1: didn't it didn't click you know you got once again you've got heels versus heels who am i supposed to hate what's what's the psychology in the match it's, it's just, it made no sense from the minute it was written down on a piece of paper it was a bad idea the minute the pen touched the pad and started laying this thing out it was destined to be the drizzling shits made no sense from the get-go despite the talent in the ring it has nothing to do with the talent in the ring it's just a horrible story It's a it was it just it made no sense. Absolutely made no sense. What did make sense though, I want to bring up right before this, we saw a great interview with Steven Regal and Bobby Eaton. God, I loved it. I just again, and maybe it's because it's been so long, I think, since any of us have ever seen has seen, not ever seen, but it's been so long since we've seen really, really great mic performances. On any consistent basis, you'll get one here and you'll get one there, and they're pretty good. But man, Stephen Regal, I forgot how good Stephen Regal was capable of being on the mic. Again, pure improv, no script. Gene Oakland, the probably one of the best in the business as far as being a straight man and setting people up and handing them on a silver platter an opportunity to, to look really good if they put any thought and effort into it. Gene did a fantastic job here, but I think Steven Regal, in some respects, is one of the more underrated promo guys in the business. He wasn't always great. He had some misfires, but this one in particular, I, I just loved it. Because it me, it reminded me, it reminded me of why I liked Nick Bockwinkle as a heel so much, because Nick Bockwinkle could could deliver a promo that was he he could be articulate. He never raised his voice. He was always putting himself over in a way that very few other people could really do. He wasn't telling everybody I'm going to go out and I'm going to wipe the mat with this guy. He's a piece of garbage. That's typical heel 101 stuff. But when you elevate your game and you can articulate and tell a story and create anticipation, and believe it or not, put your opponent over while at the same time convincing everybody that you're going to come out on top, that to me is a great, great promo. And one of the reasons I liked Regal here in this promo, Bobby didn't have to say anything, but one of the reasons I liked Regal here in this promo is he had that kind of Nick Bockwinkel-esque ability to go out there and get heat and never raise his voice. That's what makes me think as highly of as I do right now of Steve Regal in this particular promo because he got all the heat in the world, he created the anticipation, and he never once raised his voice. That's cool shit. Oh, and by the way, he put over his, his opponents, which if you're going to beat your opponent is probably the smart thing to do. But anyway, can't say enough about it. Hats off to you, Steve Regal, And you too, Bobby. You didn't have much to say. But damn, you look so good in that blue and white little... British soldier get up.
0: It was awesome. Next up, <clears throat> you had the renegade beat Arn Anderson for the TV title, but as if that wasn't enough, you had him take nine minutes and seven seconds to do it. So let's get this straight right now. I don't know
1: what Arn Anderson thinks of me. I really don't. And while I hope we're friendly, And friends, and while I hope we would get along in a social environment, I don't know necessarily that that's going to be the case. But I'd like to know why instead of being angry with me because of what did or didn't happen in WCW, why in the name of fuck is he not holding Ric Flair responsible for this mess? He didn't. Why am I? I I'm
0: sorry, what? He hasn't expressed any frustration to you about this match. His attitude oh. has always been, I didn't know. I could say no. The idea being, if you asked him to do it, he did it. I'm sure you would agree. That was pretty much your experience with Arn Anderson.
1: Not only was it my experience with Arn Anderson, it's, it's one of the reasons I have a ton of respect for Arn. however, Rick and Arn were pretty tight back in the day, oh, like, man. especially at this,
0: Hang on now. this point. You're going to tell me, you think why, why the fuck is renegade even in WCW? You wanted a Jack leg, ultimate warrior that Hulk Hogan could beat up or befriend or whatever, because it was what was hot once upon a time. You can't argue that Ric Flair wanted a fucking ultimate warrior clone. This is, this is a brother ask that you facilitate, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> I'm hey, I'm not gonna lie. you know the people that listen to this podcast, they, they can accuse me of a lot of things. You know, every once in a while, you ask me a question of some insignificant little detail of something that happened 25 years ago, according to Dave Meltzer, that I I just don't fucking remember, either because it wasn't true in the first place and never happened or because I wasn't really involved in it. Sometimes that happens, folks. Here's what I don't do when I'm on the show. I wouldn't insult my friend Conrad Thompson, and I won't insult you, the listeners. I'm not going to lie to you. I'll admit my mistakes. I do on a regular basis. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I don't deflect. I don't change the subject. I hit this shit head on. If I remember, I remember if I don't, I don't, if I have an opinion, I'll give it to you. If you ask me for some facts and details surrounding a certain situation, I will give it to you. I will never deflect, which is why Conrad, I'm going to ask you, why are we talking about Hulk Hogan when it was indeed Ric Flair that made this match? I didn't make this match. Forget about who or why or what the rationale was of bringing Renegade in. I submit, I stipulate to the obvious. Yes, Hulk Hogan wanted Renegade to come in, and Jimmy Hart wanted him more than Hulk Hogan. Let's, If we're going to tell the truth here, let's tell the truth. That, that was a Jimmy Hart move, right? Jimmy found this guy. Jimmy loved this guy. Jimmy talked to Hulk. Hulk talked to me. Boom. Here he is. But I didn't put him in the ring with Art Anderson. Well, in fairness, I certainly didn't book the finish.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that. If you guys are hiring the renegade and it's clear that you want to make him, you need to put him in the ring with someone who can cover for him. Arn Anderson could make you look like a passable wrestler. So, <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I mean, seriously, it, I now, get your point. I get your point. The, the idea being you need somebody who can, uh, as Arn would say, be a mechanic and he can cover for him. And and I I get that this is the way you would push a guy. Like if it was me, I would put him in there with Arn Anderson one week and Bobby Eaton. And I mean, if the initiative comes down from on high, Hey, we've got to do something with this guy. But I know as someone, I don't, I don't know, but I'm saying in this scenario, I would know what, what makes a good wrestling match and what doesn't. Well, shit fire, man. Let's get him in there with Ricky Morton this week and Bobby Eaton next week and Arn Anderson the week after that, and we'll have the world convinced he's fucking unbeatable. Oh, where's Ricky Steamboat? Let's dust his ass off and let him wrestle him too. <laughs> the point being, these guys, Jesus Christ, they can have great matches with anybody except maybe this one. It gets negative a quarter star. Uh, Meltzer would write Anderson probably worked about as well as I've ever seen anyone work in a negative star match. Like Alex, Wright, This match was a terrible expose of just how badly the renegade gimmick is catching on as the biggest pop was when Anderson hit the spine buster, which he kicked out of not to mention exposing that this guy isn't ready for prime time. Also the guy is shrinking by the week, which is for the best, but kills him as a warrior clone renegade one with a splash off the top rope, negative quarter star. Uh this is a painful memory for Arn Anderson. He's often referred to the television title as his world title, the most important belt he ever held, and he drops it to the Renegade. And when I asked him, uh hey, would you rather wrestle a match with Renegade again or RoboCop? He thought for a minute and said, "I think I could get a passable match out of RoboCop."
1: <laughs> I love Arn. He's so fu- he's funny without even knowing he's funny. Um I'm like, you you know, I didn't, I didn't write Tom codes down this week as I was making notes because we were in a little bit of a hurry, but there was a point in this match where I really started feeling badly for Arn. you know, just imagining how he was feeling in that particular moment. There was a moment in the match. Somehow Arn was um, prone over the top turnbuckle in, in the corner and Renegade was supposed to move in and take advantage of that. I think he hit him with a backdrop, which, by the way, dropped him right on Arne's spine, which is fucked up. But um Arne had to sit there in that he, he was he he positioned himself on the top turnbuckle. He was basically, you know, feeding f- for for Renegade. And it took Renegade like it seemed like, I don't know, forty five minutes to finally take advantage of, of what Arne was setting up for him. It just looked. To me, that was that it, it happened so fast, but it felt like it took forever to get out of that spot in the corner. And, and it just it was horrible. And I felt kidding aside, you know, I'm joking about Rick and Arn and all that. That's just me trying to have fun on the show. But I really did feel bad this morning for Arn, seeing him in that position. And I agree with you. Arn can make you know Rick Flair is the same way. Rick Ric Flair can literally wrestle a broom and the broom will look fucking awesome. Arn's right there with him in that respect. And as hard as Arn worked, and as much as he gave, much like Brian Pillman gave to to, to um, Alex right in the beginning, Arn gave everything that he had to try to camouflage this facta mess. And it was still a faqta mess. It was just horrible.
0: Not great stuff. Uh, let's talk about, um, nasty boys. They get their match with blue bloods here. Nasty boys are going to retain the tag titles. They get plenty of time, 15 minutes and three seconds. I've admitted it here before. I'll say it again. The nasty boys are a guilty pleasure for me. I was always entertained by them. I'm not going to say they were the best technical wrestlers, but it, it was believable. It was fun. I can't explain it. I just like their stuff. And much like you, I really enjoy this presentation of the blue bloods of, of Regal and Eaton. I mean, two next level performers here, uh, Meltzer dug it too, gave it two and a quarter stars. What'd you think? I mean, we do see, uh, Booker T and, and Stevie Ray and Sherry come out to distract everyone. Maybe some purists would have an issue with that, but I really liked this match. What'd you think?
1: I liked it too. I mean, it's nothing about it made me go, Oh man, I can't believe this is such a great, I mean, it didn't stand out. It wasn't like one of the best matches I've seen, um, or any of that. And it was, it was a very solid, but typical nasty boys match. I mean, they didn't, there wasn't a lot of variety in their presentation, they, they worked. I don't think anybody actually physically worked much harder than the nasty boys in the ring at this stage of their career. And when they were in their prime, they, you can say what you want about the characters. You could say what you want about their lack of, you know, technical wrestling ability, whatever you want to say, be as critical as you want to be. But one thing you cannot add to that list of critique is laziness. They worked their asses off. They worked as hard or harder than most people. Once the bell rang. Um, can't say enough good things about Steven and, and and Bobby, obviously, as a tag team or as individuals. Both of them, I think, very, very gifted. Now, the, the one note that I did make, I love the finish. I, I, I love the finish in the interference because it, it, the interference was originally supposed to help um, Bobby and Regal because of the underlying issue and ongoing issue that, that Nasty's had with Harlem heat. So the, the interference, at least the way I saw it was, um, Booker T coming in, yes, he interfered with the intention of helping Bobby, but inadvertently, and this is where Bobby's magic, because he made it look like it was an accident, but he, but Booker T inadvertently bumped Bobby, and Bobby ended up crotching himself, falling into the ring, which gave the Nasty Boys an opportunity to win. So the the interference actually backfired in a way that was very believable to me. I, I, I made a note. I didn't make a lot of notes here because we didn't have a lot of time. But th- I re- if you're going to do an interference angle, at least this was a really refreshing, unique way to do it that had an outcome much different than what you would normally expect an interference move like this to have. So I, I dug it. For that reason alone, it was, pretty in- it was a pretty ingenious way to come up with an interference finish that I hadn't seen before.
0: Next up we've got the finals of the United States title tournament. Um lots of talent took part in this. In round one, it was Sting over Arn, Orndorf over Bad, Ming over Bagwell, Pillman over Buck, Flair over Patriot, Wright over Bubba, Savage over Butcher, Austin over Duggan. Round two is Sting over Orndorf, Ming over Pillman, Flair over Wright, Savage over Austin. Then in the semis, Flair and Savage ended a no contest. So both are eliminated, which makes sting and Ming the finals sting wins and wins the United States title in the process. 13 minutes, 34 seconds. It gets two and a half stars. Meltzer would say Ming did the superhuman gimmick early, not going down match was slow early, but the psychology was good. Basic storyline was Sting clamped on the scorpion in the middle of the ring, but Ming came or became the first man ever to power out of the move sting clipped Ming's knee then using a clothesline off the top and a splash but Ming kicked out of both sting then used the jumping ddt for the pin total japanese finish which was good and that you get the clean pin but the loser looked strong by breaking the usual finisher two and a half stars this is one of the more high profile matches that Ming ever had in a singles competition. And I thought he did a fantastic job playing a villain for, for the white meat baby face thing, an underrated match and really a showcase of what Ming, what maybe could have been if he was in a prime single spot.
1: I agree. I enjoyed this one a lot. I think part of the reason I, <clears throat> I enjoyed it is because I think so much of Ming as, as a person. Um, what, a, what a unique cat he is, you know, to, to be such a legitimate walking, talking, living, breathing badass in real life. And to be able to go in there and have a match like this. He looks so believable. He looks so credible. But he's also one of the quietest, gentlest, kindest people you'll meet outside of the ring assuming you don't piss him off, but I love, I, I love this match. There was nothing spectacular about it. I agree with Dave. You know, I love, uh, I love the way the finish, um, played out, you know, St- Ming didn't lose a bit of steam as a result of the finish. Sting looked fantastic. He was probably at his physical prime in my, 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 own point of view at this point of his career he looked awesome he was on fire the crowd was behind him it was i i enjoyed the match it wasn't a go down in history kind of match but it was a really 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 good match and fun to watch
0: it didn't take much you know for sting you know sting just needs you know like hogan before him in the 80s he just needs a heel factory and perhaps none better than a a quote-unquote superhuman ming here fun stuff the main event, here we are, man. Rick Flair, Randy Savage, uh 14 minutes 42 seconds. Meltzer really loved it, gave it four stars. And check out this uh opening line here in Meltzer's write-up. Anyone who says Flair is washed up as a worker can eat it. As a draw, maybe another story. It's been years since Savage has put out like this. Basically, this was everything you would have expected. Uh, of a match between these two in their primes fast and furious with them brawling inside and outside the ring. Angelo Poffo was at ringside with a cane selling the injury from the last pay-per-view when Flair used the figure four on him after a knee breaker on the guardrail chops. And even the old Don Morocco avalanche leg snapper Flair used the figure four. Of course, Savage reverses it all the usual big references here. Um, That you would expect from any match with either one of these two, we get Poffo involved a little bit and he chokes flair with his cane. It really is great stuff. Uh, it gets four stars and, uh, the the write-up or the finish comes when, um, flair gets the cane in the ring, clobber savage with it. There's the pin. Uh, and then they do an angle off television where they're filming Hogan and Jimmy Hart, leaving the building either just before or during the match which set up the subtle savage turn is, is what Meltzer thinking. We'll see, but the actual in ring match and presentation here, it's hard to disagree with, with Dave. This exceeded all of my expectations. I mean, it's like you rewind the clock and these guys were 10 years younger.
1: See what happens when you have believable story and great talent kind of crossing paths at the same time. Yep. I mean, there's absolutely no way you can take, anything away from the respective talents of Savage and and Flair at this point. But that's not why this match was so great. This match was great because it had story that created emotion, not just with the fans, not the story not only made sense to an average wrestling fan, they could not only relate easily to the story that was being presented here over a month previous to this. It was a very simple, believable, credible story. Credible and believable being the same thing. Sorry about that. But it was a great, great story. And the story was not only believable and brought out emotions or, or brought emotions to the fans that they could relate to, it also created emotion between Ric Flair and and Mosh that they could that they as performers could believe in and relate to. And we've talked often on this show. About how some of the best promos that I've ever heard Ric Flair do, and, and granted, I haven't heard all of Ric Flair's greatest hits, okay? But in my twenty five or so years being associated with Rick, the the promos that to me at least are the absolute best Ric Flair promos are the ones that hit close to home, mm. that that are that are true in Rick's mind, or that give Rick the ability to really get lost in the moment of that character. And usually those are real life type of situations, derivatives of real story, as opposed to something that's completely fabricated that he doesn't really relate to. And the same with much Randy Savage. You know, when you got Randy really involved in a story and he really believed in it as great of a performer as he was, his performances went up three or four notches. And because of Randy's deep, Deep love and respect for his father and Randy's belief, 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 as we talked about, you touched on in the early part of the show, that his father deserved more respect, perhaps attention, recognition, and to be able to have that all play out and end up in a pay-per-view um, between Rick and Randy. I, man, you talk about a the perfect cocktail. That's what this match was. It was a perfect cocktail. It had the right balance, a believable, credible story that wasn't so over-the-top and stupid that you disconnected the audience from it. It was believable, credible. Everybody could relate to it. Now you've got two guys in the ring that, are, mm, man, if they might not have been at, at, at the peak of their respective physical careers, but goddamn, their passion made up for it. And the story helped. It was just Perfect and angelo papa had perfect hair too
0: hey let me ask do you think um you know this is a weird way to ask the question and maybe i'm not going to even phrase it right but do you think there was maybe a chip on the shoulder of randy savage and rick flair where they wanted to show you know hey we don't have to be in hogan's shadow you know hogan's not on the pay-per-view and, and obviously before Flair came, or before Hogan came over, Flair was sort of the man in WCW. And now he's taking a backseat to that, not only to Hogan, but to Macho Man. And of course, years prior over in the WWF, for better or worse, Macho was also in Hogan's shadow. Do you think now that they're in the main event and, and they've got time and they've got story, they're here to prove a point that, hey, God damn it, we're still at the top of our game too.
1: I, I don't think so at all. You know, and uh, just I'll tell you why. And this was me. I was there. I was actually in the room rooms. Um, Nobody worked harder to convince Hulk Hogan to come to WCW than Ric Flair. Right. Had it not had it not been for Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan would have not come to WCW. End of story. No, no. There's no variation on that theme. There's no alternative facts that anybody can throw out there. It it just is what it is. Rick, Hulk Hogan would not have come to WCW without Ric Flair's support, encouragement, and and everything else that went with it. So for me for me to say, eh, I think maybe Rick was a little disappointed that he was in Hulk's shadow, makes no sense to me at any level. Um, now, knowing Rick and you know him better than I do at this point. You know, Rick was very competitive. That yeah. doesn't mean that Rick Flair doesn't want to prove that he's he's still the man and he doesn't want to be but he was he was playing up to that role, not with a chip on his shoulder. Randy Savage wouldn't have been in WCW had it not been for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so I, I no, I don't think that played into it at all. I mean, when I and maybe I'm looking at the past with kind of, you know, rose colored glasses because I guess I tend to want to do that. But Even though there were beats and moments between Hogan and and Randy that got a little tense, they were minor and they were rare. For the most part, those two guys were thick. You know, there was a period of time and they've, you know, Hulk has talked. A lot about the roller coaster relationship that those two had, and they did have a roller coaster relationship all the way up to the very end, right before Randy died, when Hulk Hogan was had to, had a doctor's appointment, yeah. and coincidentally with the same doctor that Randy Savage had, Hulk was having back issues and knee issues at the time, and they crossed paths in the doctor's office, and that was the first time they had spoken to each other in a long time, and they kind of buried the hatchet, and you know. Hugged and, you know, brought it right back to where they had been when they were friends, only for Randy to die shortly thereafter in a car wreck. So, or of a heart attack and a car wreck. But no, the, the answer to your question, no, I, I don't believe that was it at all. I think what what drove both of them is what got both of them to the top of their careers in the first place, which is just their passion for performing and their love for the business. And this was an ideal situation where, you know, Rick knew that he would get a great match out of Randy. He knew that he could trust Randy and vice versa. That's a great, you know, the chemistry's great. You know, you, it's an important thing. You couldn't have asked for better chemistry between these two individuals. Now the fact that they've got a story that they both believe in, that the audience believes in. God almighty, I wish we could recreate that, you know, once a month or twice a month. Because that was, it just, ah. I could gush for hours, but it was great.
0: Great stuff. And by the way, it is a bit of a sleeper show. The Wrestling Observer reader poll gave it 43% thumbs up, 34.6% thumbs in the middle, and uh, thumbs down only gets 22.3%. Even Nikki liked it. What'd you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. thumbs in the middle.
1: Yeah, Nikki, paw up, paw down. Ric Flair, Randy Savage, <laughs> pay per view. What do you think? She's looking at me like, dude, would you take me outside? I got to take a shit. <laughs>
0: What did you think? Thumbs up, (laughs) thumbs down. I
1: I liked it. You know, there was, there were, I liked it a lot. I would give it, you know, thumbs up for sure. Um, probably because of the main event. I mean, anytime it is so rare anymore that we see really good story. And when you see a story like this, even though it was from 1995, it just, it brings back hope somebody's going to see this and go, you know what we need, we need a story. We need something like this. that can bring out the passion and the emotion of not only the audience, but the performers in the ring in a way that is so believable. You forget that it's not, that's why I left it as much as I did.
0: I thought it was great. The, uh, best match poll, of course, Ric Flair and Randy Savage, unfortunately the worst match poll, well, it's renegade and Arn Anderson. This was a fun time to revisit WCW. As we know, the company is going to change greatly in just a handful of months when Monday Nitro becomes a reality. Next week, we're going to check in with you, and we're going to bring you what I think is the the perfect follow-up to Great American Bash 95. It's Great American Bash 96. uh, And on that show, of course, well, Eric takes a little ride. But more importantly, we're taking you on the ride of WCW. This is three months before Nitro. Well, of course the next one is 9 months into Nitro, but the very beginning stages of the NWO Great American Bash 96 could not be more different than 1995, could it?
1: No, what a change. What 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 a what a difference a couple months make. It's just and it was the beginning. You know, that's what's so much fun about going back and look at the looking at these shows, you know, when when you sent me the text and we're going to cover this one um this week. It's like, wow, I can't believe... had I I had no idea what was going to happen in three or four short months, or certainly not in eight or ten months, of how just how drastically, not only WCW's world, but the world of professional wrestling was about to change based on things that were developing in this moment. It's really cool to look back and kind of put it in that context.
0: What's cool about the next show we're going to cover, Bash 96, is it's got sort of a blend of old traditional classic wcw but also the new nitro version of things but you've also got a little touch of celebrity and as we know the hottest angle of all time it'll be steiner brothers working against fire and ice which is scott norton and ice train conan in there with el gato diamond dallas page working with marcus alexander bagwell how about this one dean malenko and ray mysterio jr Ooh, thank you for that present John Tenta and Big Bubba Rogers, Chris Benoit and Kevin Sullivan, and False Count Anywhere. And yes, there's more than meets the out there. Sting and Lord Steven Regal. How about Ric Flair tagging with Arn Anderson to take on Kevin Green and Steve McMichael? Can't wait to beat you up on that one. And then in the main event for the world title, it's the Giant and Lex Luger. But somewhere in there, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, these outsiders who are now here in WCW. Have a little bit of a uh a get together with eric bischoff we'll talk about it next week if you've got questions we want to hear them follow us on twitter it's at 83 weeks and uh, by the way we should mention you could have heard this show early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com and eric you don't just get the shows early and ad free you get bonus content besides just additional episodes with you and i but you've had a lot of fun making zoom calls to some of our supporters you're doing like essentially them cocktail parties with some of these guys some of the times are you not
1: Conrad I am having so much fun with this everyshow.com format I mean I've done two two lockdowns where basically um you know I jump in and we have a we have a, you know a little get together with 75 or 100 fans on Zoom and everybody gets to ask questions and participate and you know the first one I did was a blast uh Evan you know, our our, our 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 pilot, our captain over at AdFreeShows.com hosted the first one. The second one I did, which was just last week, um, uh, we actually had a fan. Her name is Lauren Yaffe, uh, who joined us for the first lockdown. She She was such a positive person and she was so much fun. Everybody enjoyed her that we asked her to actually host the second lockdown, which we did last week. And she, she she texted me right before the show. She said, "Do you mind if I make this into a drinking game?" I said, like, "Hey, honey, it's your show. Whatever you want to do. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to let you run the ship. Evans, you know, got other commitments. He can't be here." Lauren, it's so I actually handed the show over to one of our supporters and fans. And she did a fantastic job, such a fantastic job, by the way, that a lot of members from AdFreeshows.com are now petitioning for her to be the regular host. That's awesome. How cool is
0: that? So cool.
1: And it, there's and, it, and honestly, and I'm not saying this to sell adfreeshows.com, but if you want to buy it anyway, that's okay. But honestly, these these Zoom calls that I've been doing. I was telling Lori this yesterday when we were catching up after her being gone for a week. I have so much fun doing them because you you really get to know, you know, your the the members, the subscribers, the fans of, of every shows that come. You can actually have a real conversation without the pressure of somebody moving the line along because yep. somebody's waiting behind, you know, for an autograph. You don't feel rushed. And you get into these conversations. Half the time we're into conversations that, yeah, a lot of it has to do with wrestling, but sometimes it doesn't. Right. And we're having and we're having a blast and it feels like a cocktail party. So I can't wait to do the next one. I'm gonna hold off. I'm not gonna do another one until July, just because I think people like you will get sick of hearing my voice. Um but uh next month I'm I'm gonna talk Lauren in, into hosting it again and we're gonna have a blast.
0: What we're trying to do is create like a, a little community, and that's really what the goal of these podcasts have become. And we want you to follow us on Twitter too. He is at E Bischoff, I am at hey, hey, it's Conrad, but We love the interaction. We love the feedback and we're all wrestling fans. And even though Eric was maybe on the other side of the guardrail, he was, it was, and is a wrestling fan. So it's fun to talk wrestling with people who sort of have like-minded interests and, and pastimes. And it's cool, you know, as a wrestling fan to be able to express to you, Hey man, you don't know what nitro meant to me in my childhood. You don't know what the NWO meant to me in my college buddies. And that's probably cool to hear because it is more than just, the social media mess, right Eric.
1: It is, and I think that's one of the things. God, it's like you were sitting in on my conversation with Lori yesterday at the Silver Dollar in downtown Cody. Um, that when when you and it's not just oh you know Nitro meant so much to me or this meant so much to me, you know, not necessarily putting me or even WCW over that makes me feel good. But when I hear people talking about how how much wrestling positively influenced their lives. There you go. And I'm going to give you one quick – I'm going to talk about one one very, very quick. I promise I'll keep it fast. But a couple years ago uh, – I may have told you the story. If I have, shut me off. But uh, I, a young lady, probably in her mid to late 20s, I was doing a p- panel at a Comic-Con in Phoenix with Hulk Hogan and Sting. And we got to the Q and a portion of the, of the panel and this young lady came, stood up and she told me the story and she basically said, look, the only reason, the only opportunity I ever got to bond, um, with my father was watching wrestling. That was the only time because he, you know, he, he worked a couple jobs and we had a dysfunctional family and all, all the reasons why. But, um, the only memory she had of her childhood with her father was watching wrestling her mother had passed. Her father had passed. She really had no other family. And she told me this story, and it, it it brought tears to my eyes on the stage as I was listening to it. She she tracked me down how I don't know. She tracked me down about a month later and said, hey, if you remember, I told you this story. And, of course, I remembered her because it touched me quite a bit. And <laughs> hold on. Hold on. And then she said, I'm getting married, and I don't have anybody to give me away. And since my relationship with my dad had so much to do with wrestling, do you mind? Oh, God almighty. And that's the kind of thing. And you hear, not stories like that, obviously, but you hear so much how wrestling is is over the top and silly as it can be sometimes, and if you really think about it, it's it sometimes doesn't make any sense. Right. But when you hear the stories about how families, relationships, brothers, sisters, friends, whatever, have kind of bonded over this thing that we, you know, all enjoy called professional wrestling, those stories really touch me. If you can't tell. <laughs> anyway, it's cool. And that's why I like doing adfreeshows.com because you hear those stories. Not, not that story, but you hear stories like that. And you realize we all have a lot more in common than we think we do. You know, I'm doing an adfreeshows.com. The first one I did, there's probably 75 or 100 people on this thing. And within 20 minutes, I felt like I'm talking to 75 or 100 friends of mine. Right. That's, hum- that, that's what happens when you, when you all come together around this one thing we all kind of dig. And uh, it's fun. It really is fun.
0: Well, join the gang over at adfreeshows.com. We appreciate you guys' support and uh, sharing your wrestling memories with us here on 83 Weeks. We'll be back next week with Great American Bash 1996. We've got lots more great stuff coming up. Uh, If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter. You can interact with us, ask questions about the show. Uh, You might even hear your questions on the show. And you can ask Eric a question personally over at adfreeshows.com. Until next week. He is at a Bischoff on Twitter. I am at hey, hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you right here next week on Westwood One. It's 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey, Keith, um, I wanted to have a quick talk with you about your experience with Save
1: with Conrad. Is it okay if I record it for the podcast? Yeah, that's fine. Awesome,
0: awesome. I've been telling you for a long time that savewithconrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it.
1: First off, what made you come to say with Conrad? I was to the point I had two mortgages, and I was like, man, I, I really don't like having to write two checks every single month. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was really looking to consolidate and make it into one, and then save some money on top of it. So I pretty much maxed out a credit card, and I was like, well, I'm not gonna get anywhere only making basically minimum payments. So I was like, if I refinance, I'll be able to pay off that credit card. So that really was what motivated me to do it. How was it working with Jimmy and the team? He was awesome to deal with. I'd recommend him to anybody. Um, Is there anything through this experience for you that we could possibly change
0: to make it smoother? Really, I think um, you guys did a really good job. Um, I really don't have any complaints, honestly. How much money was Save Save With Conrad able to save you through this whole thing? I'm safe. Around
1: twenty thousand dollars. When it comes down to it, um, it could be more than that, but I'm just a rough br- estimate. Probably about twenty thousand. Now, if you could tell it tell our podcast anything to encourage them about, say with Conrad, what would you tell them?
0: In Conrad, we trust, man. <laughs> 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 That I love it. I love it. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com oh and did i mention you could skip your next two house payments hurry to savewithconrad.com
1: nmls number 65084 equal housing lenders john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the Sliding Scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.